Welcome to Sustainable Minds, exploring the interplay of corporate brand, core beliefs, and ESG, brought to you by Baker. In every episode, we'll investigate how purpose, vision, and values can guide your company's sustainability actions, behaviors, and mindsets. And we'll discuss their impact with the help of ESG-focused guests from around the globe. I'm your host, Rocket. And I'm your host, Gary. Let's get started. Today, we're talking with Rachel Hutchinson. Welcome to Sustainable Wines, Rachel. For our guest, Rocket isn't with me today, and she's she's usually sitting right next to me here, and she's always the one that's laughing very loudly <laughs> on these programs. Thrilled to be talking to Rachel. Rachel is a respected social impact and philanthropy executive known for her successful development and scaling of social responsibility initiatives while strengthening stakeholder engagement and brand recognition. Just right there, there's a lot to get into and talk about, right? You know, There is. With expertise in strategic communications and a passion for diversity, inclusion, and nonprofit governance, she collaborates across sectors to amplify voices and empower individuals and organizations. Recently, you worked at Blackboard for 15 years. The most recent position was Vice President of Global Social Responsibility. BlackBowd is a leading software provider exclusively dedicated to empowering social impact. So that's going to be kind of interesting. You are also VP of Corporate Citizenship and a Director of Corporate Citizenship and Philanthropy. You've received many honors, including Fortune Most Powerful Woman Next Gen 2022. Rachel serves on several boards, the Giving Institute, the Generosity Commission, and Common Impact. She earned her MA in Journalism from the University of Missouri-Columbia and a BA in English from Dickinson College. Welcome to Sustainable Minds. Well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Let's talk about what the heck you've been doing the last 15 years of your life. Well, the only thing I'd add there is it was actually longer than that. So oh, okay. that which is fine. I was uh, I, I was referring a, to Black Bog. So Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I was at Black Bog for 30 years. So oh. it depends. Yeah. Long, long time. Started there when I was coming out of grad school and I had the pleasure of meeting the founder, and it was a real startup period and got involved really early and was with the company as it got an outside investment and went public and grew and continued to stay really focused on nonprofits and social good, but just in different ways. So had an amazing run there. Terrific. So I want to know a little bit about the software and I want to know a little bit about what the company does. And then we'll talk about some of the initiatives that you worked on. So the software powers social impact. Yeah. So Blackboard is a the world's leading cloud software provider for technology that is specifically designed for social good or social impact. And a lot of the customers are nonprofit organizations. Tens of thousands of nonprofit organizations use the technology to handle things like fundraising, nonprofit accounting, and other important things having to do with how they run their operations. It's really infrastructure technology as well as the technology that a a donor or a customer might see. They're interfacing with the organization via the web, giving money, et cetera. So really critical technology for 
nonprofits to raise money and operate. They also work with foundations in grant-making technology and companies handling their corporate social responsibility or employee interactions, things like matching gifts, volunteers, et cetera. So one, the company is really well known for its expertise in philanthropy and aiding the flow of philanthropy, really from all different directions, but also for capacity, infrastructure capacity building and helping all these organizations be successful at their missions. Each company is so unique unto itself. What do you think made them special? Oh, Blackwood was a very special place. It is a special place. I think that at the heart, it came from the founder's belief in the important role that nonprofits play in society, that it's important to think about these organizations that often aren't top of mind, that they're not supposed to have a profit, but that doesn't mean that they're not supposed to generate income and be able to sustain themselves in a very effective way. And so from the very beginning, um, the founder and the company were developing technology to help this really important sector in our society be healthy. And that sector is very much the safety net in this country. So, So to this day, you know, that's really remains true, providing technology for people who are working to generate and create really important impact, often to help other people. Yeah, a big part of our business, besides ESG and sustainability and helping people with reporting and storytelling, what we'll talk about, but we're a corporate brand agency. And I work with a lot of different companies. I've got a guess here, but it sounds like it was a very purpose-driven company. Oh, very. Yeah. Before everyone was talking about that. I mean, this was just kind of like innately... It's like we were born that way. I remember our current CEO saying that, you know, shared value is kind of where we were born. Yeah. So it's like we have Patagonia up the street here and, you know, they were born with a great sense of purpose. They didn't have to sit around at a conference table and discuss what their purpose was. They had this innate purpose, but did it need to later be defined and described as this company probably grew and evolved? Oh, absolutely. I mean, You know, in the early days, uh, you know, I can look back and see that the focus, although the founder very much brought this sense, whether we use the purpose or word purpose or not, we didn't in those early days. You know, he knew what the technology was helping organizations do, but the focus for any small company is on developing a product, selling a product, supporting the product, and surviving that way. The company was on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies less twice, two times in a row in the 80s. And I'll recall the founder saying later that the best part about that, the most important part about that is that the company survived that because rapid growth and change and the change in technology and very much being known for the products and the names of the products versus the brand of the company. And so, you know, later on, there was almost like there was this realization that the company had a brand and needed to codify that brand and mature that brand. And then after series of acquisitions and growth, I mean, this company is more than 40 years old. It needed to think more intentionally about what that brand meant. So for sure, there's been deep, thoughtful consideration about the brand and how to talk about the brand as the company evolves, but also as the world evolves. Yeah. And I would guess the same would be these type of founders typically are very values-based and they lead by example. 
and they have a set of values that's very important to them, but they don't have to talk about them. They live them and you see these people living them. Oh, absolutely. And the founder, his name was Tony Bacher. When he stepped down, he actually established a significant fund at the Community Foundation. He'd already established one for the company, but this new one was for his family. And he's done a lot of philanthropy. He never really called himself a philanthropist, but he always was one. Yeah. He like one. Yeah. And, and people would follow because of that. He very much strongly believed in some key issues that were at the core, became the core of how the company gave back. What's your most remarkable takeaway? What do you feel from those almost 30 years there? You know, it's really hard to pick just one. Yeah. I often describe myself as someone who became a student of organizational change. And I didn't realize that going in. You know, here I was, this I got a BA in English and a master's degree in journalism. I was very much a writer, still am. My family is very academic. I thought I would end up in the nonprofit world. And here I am at this company. And I got to learn so much seeing it evolve from, you know, founder-led and very small and entrepreneurial to, to more established, to VC funded, to public, to mid-sized. To, and I got to learn a lot along the way. And that's important to me. And I got to build a lot along the way. And so learning and being in an on, constantly changing entrepreneurial environment was fascinating. There are other things that I take away. I mean, just what a gift it is to work with nonprofits, to work in the world of philanthropy, to understand how important that is in the world, and then to also have moments where you help to make really good things happen. And, yeah. and the people in the company are what always make that the most special, working alongside them to make special things happen. So you're committed to a core philosophy that, that good is for, is for everyone, right? Being a champion of positive change and aspiring individuals to integrate services into their personal and professional development. Yes. Give me an example of that. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, good is for everyone. Is It sounds so simple, but it's something that has really become a core philosophy for me because, and it comes from two different perspectives. One is that working with so many nonprofits and, and come, being in the corporate world, it's really easy to see how sometimes feel like People talk like the good is what nonprofits do and companies are just there to support that good. You know, I tell people I graduated from college in the Gordon Gecko greed is good era where, you know, business, greed, but business does a lot of good too. So the first meaning was, was that we needed everyone at the table, not just nonprofits, which are vital, but also companies, communities, cities, everyone. And then the second meaning of good is for everyone is really that it's not just for big business, like really big business. When I was building programs at Blackboard, I was looking out into the world for resources to help me. And they were almost always designed for the really big guys, the Fortune 500, really, really big guys. And that bothered me because good is for every size business. So more than 70% of people in America who work for small, work in business, work for small to mid-sized businesses. So, so that's where good is for everyone comes from. And, and throughout my career, you know, you can take it down whether you're thinking about it as an organization type, like a company and a nonprofit, or a size of a company. You can actually take it down to the individual level where, you know, a person in their careers, working hard, might have a family, doesn't have a lot of time. But I firmly believe the role of service and actually stepping out of that and serving helps you be successful in so many different ways. It helps add to your leadership capabilities 
your skill sets. It brings you new experiences. It helps you meet new people. It helps you broaden your community. It kind of is this wonderful, you're giving your time, but you're receiving so much from it. So I think I helped place more than 100 people on nonprofit boards over the past, I want to say, 10 years. That was something that I always loved to do and continue to do because people often say, well, well, I don't have time for that or I'm not skilled enough for that or I don't have enough to offer yet. And people do. And then they come back and say, oh, wow, I really learned from this. And it was so rewarding. And I met new people and I'm it's very rewarding all the way around. Fantastic. I want to talk about a company embarking on its ESG journey. Many companies are just getting started, which is good, right? Some are well on their journey. I read recently how some journeys are pausing or kind of hitting bumps in the road along the way. But the question is, what do they have to do? Somebody that's just embarking on that journey, and you've probably seen a lot of this, what do they have to do to sort of get it right? What would that roadmap look like if we use the journey metaphor? Yeah, I think journey is a really good metaphor because it never ends and everyone's journey is different. The first thing I'd say is just start doing it and don't be afraid of what you're hearing in the news. There's a lot of terminology that's Mm -hmm. thrown around. Sometimes it's even hard to know which word to use. I was just on a webinar that a Microsoft speaker was on talking about sustainability. And the first question was, are we talking about ESG? Are we talking about sustainability? Are we talking about impact? There's so much terminology. And so almost every conversation has to begin with, well, what is it that we're talking about? And for me, what this whole big umbrella is thinking and behaving in a way that's socially responsible. And I choose that term because ESG has often become hijacked and politicized and is a specific thing. The tracking of data under the E, the S, and the G, very focused on investors and finance and data, et cetera. And it's really important. But sometimes when you just focus on that and get really clinical, you lose sight of the broader picture. Exactly. So the first thing I'd say is don't worry about the terminology. Don't worry about what you're reading in the press. If you are interested in ESG, it says to me that you're interested in leaving the planet better than we found it. You know, trying to pull back overconsumption of resources. You're trying to make decisions that are moral and ethical and human. And that's easy to say, but the world is really stressed on that front. So if you're feeling that way and you might be giving and volunteering, but you that's not enough because that is, isn't enough. And you want to look, take a view across your whole organization. And the way to start is just to simply start and almost like just do an audit of what are the things that you do in, in the organization that you think are really good? Do you give? How much do you give? Figure that out. Figure out, you probably have an embedded philosophy about how you do it without sometimes it being codified. That helps you figure out what do you do? What do you not do? What do you give to? What do you not give to? volunteerism with sustainability and environmentalism do you even recycle like start with the basics and the way i started many many years ago is the city had a green business challenge and i already was deeply steeped in philanthropy and volunteerism grant making and all of that but we weren't thinking intentionally that much about environmentalism although we were one of the first companies to fully embrace recycling which Sounds basic, but some companies actually today still don't even do it. 
And so I did this green business challenge, which at that point was in a spreadsheet. And it just asked you, do you do these things? Like, do the lights shut off in the restroom when you close the door? Or, you know, when you go in, do they do the come on? Do your do the faucet shut offs? Do lots and lots of things. Does everybody have a recycle bin? What do you recycle? All these different things, some of them are really, really basic. And it helped us see what do we do and what do we not do? And what are the things that we could add that would be easy? And I actually also, there's a wonderful resource called the Boston College Center for Corporate Citizenship. And the next step was moving from philanthropy to broader citizenship or CSR was to do their study. And it was, again, very similar. And it looked across the environmental work practices, looked across your facilities, your products. It stepped you through all sorts of things that you might not have thought about that were in the whole picture of being a a socially responsible company. And it really helped the company understand, oh, wow, we actually do things that are really great that we had just never realized. And then it pushed us to say, well, here's another set of things we could add that aren't that hard. Why don't we do that? And then here are other things that when we go and build a new building, we can embrace. And so it just puts you in context. And I think that's the first thing you got to do. Just figure out where are you? Where are you standing? And then you decide what are the next steps? And sometimes I know everybody says it's really important to do your materiality assessment, and it is, but there's often a journey that you have to go on before you're ready to do a materiality assessment. And some of that has to do with making sure that all the people who are stakeholders who are important to that assessment and materiality being the, uh, what's most important to your core audiences, your business, to your customers, to your employees, to your investors, is that you have to have them understand that so that they can engage and help you actually do it well. So that's, that's a bit of a beginning. You got to be comfortable with ambiguity because... <laughs> Yeah, Things that's always changing and adding. And if you wait until it's all complete, you'll never get there. That's very good advice. I ask a question a lot. If a company's just starting out, what should they do? And first thing they say is materiality assessment. But you're saying before you do that, walk around, look around and see what matters and see who's who cares and, and see what's important before you form sort of an informal and when the company did a materiality assessment, one of my colleagues led it, was over operations overall and, and a lot of impact reporting. He was working with an outside consulting firm. And a lot of the questions they asked you, you would have to know, well, who was important in key areas. And yeah. You have to have a little bit of a foundation to stand on. And that's not bad because you're basically foundation no. building. Yeah in order yeah. to get to a point where you invest in materiality and then that helps drive you and you build more foundation, you're going up and up and up. Also, I've worked with companies and I don't like it when they start talking about risk mitigation. I like it when they start talking about value creation and how this could really create value for your company and for all that it's, that it's intended to. They both are important though. Because managing risk is really important. And some, you know, leaders in the span of my career, we know we're not at all talking about whether it was called corporate social responsibility, sustainability, et cetera, as something that was important because of the risks to the business. Mm-hmm. But it is. When you can see that it's both, that's important. You are mitigating risk and you are creating value. 
I mean, we all think different ways. So you have to have different entry points to the conversation so that someone doesn't say, oh, that's, that's not for me. Like, well, actually it is for you and this is why. And that takes time. That's part of that journey. You don't just go in and say, here's my plan and we're going to do this. And in five years, we're going to be here. There's a lot of change management that goes along with it. And along that journey, I think that you start to see a lot of companies coalesce a business strategy with a sustainability strategy and the alignment of that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it happens in different ways at different businesses. And by no means is every business there yet. But over the last 10 years, there have just been a lot more that are, um, that are doing that. Yeah. And really living, it takes back to where you started, really living their values. Yeah. One of our clients, it's not unusual for a new CEO to come in and wants to be the leader that they want to be. And he uh, added sustainability as a value to the values. And I thought that was pretty good. And I thought that was okay. I don't like when people come in and change too much just for change sake and want to make their mark. They want to, I think it's important to think what's about the greater good here. So I think it needs to be more woven into the fabric of the company and the culture. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a parallel there to diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you just say it's everybody's job and everyone should do it, and it's completely woven into the fabric of our organization and you don't call it out, the risk is that people don't actually understand what's needed, what the work is, and it won't necessarily get done if that spotlight isn't on it. Yeah. And, you know, well, if we ever reach a point and we have not reached it where it is interwoven into everything, then you could say, okay, it's just everybody's job. But until then, you do need to focus. And and sustainability is so important. I have two kids and one of them minored in sustainability, and they both grew up understanding, talking about what brands stood for and purchasing and just different things. You know, one of them we talk about how much water it, it takes to grow an almond. And you talk about, you know, almond milk is better than other things. And it's, you're not, it doesn't involve cows and it's better for the climate. Well, is it like, because it's using so much water, it's it, very interesting conversations that right. the younger generations are having that are yeah. becoming important as those generations seek jobs and positions in the world. They have expectations that are different and the generations before that. So I was reviewing this book by Stephen Cohen. It's a new book, Environmentally Sustainable Growth, where he talks about the profit motive can catalyze the desired effect where shame and guilt have failed. Hmm. He advocates for a carrot instead of a stick approach. He's hopeful that making good behavior profitable will hasten more wide sweeping changes at the business level than punishing or, or charging companies for negative impacts that they've made. And the article was reading, he's not alone in this. So I was just reason I was just curious. I have a point of view on this, but I was just, what's your reaction or what have you experienced? As well, a- I am definitely a glasses half full person. And so I definitely believe in the positivity and the idea that we can find opportunities to do more and being creative and opportunistic in a positive way and being entrepreneurial and getting people excited about how we can drive change. 
but I'm also a realist and I've grown up in a world where you have people who would just laugh at that and say, well, that's just Pollyanna. That's yeah. not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. And there are many people in the world who, if they don't see the risk, they don't see the danger, they're not going to necessarily, it's not going to move them to action. And so I think we're actually hardwired. If you think about storytelling, there's the narrative arc in a story. And there's always this moment of tension that's important to the story or people don't think it's a good story. They don't engage emotionally. It makes them pay attention. And while I don't believe you should be doom and gloom or, or constantly beating everybody up about the climate, et cetera, it's important to understand the risks and the consequences or we may not change. And that's an even, that's a worse thing. I'm like you, I'm a glass half full person and I want to help create the right behaviors, actions and, and mindsets and attitudes. But I also know that pain is a motivator and I want to avoid pain when it happens, whether it's financial or, you know, some sort of punitive things that has happened to companies here. I don't think that's a bad thing, but it's complicated because we're humans and where we can do a lot of good over here and over here, but over here, we just do something that's that's just horrific. Well, you know, no one person is just one way. We're complicated creatures. Yeah, yeah. And organizations are that way too. I want to jump back to the storytelling. So I know that this is one of your favorite topics. It is. And it's, it's not just about the data. It's about the story. Mm-hmm. So tell us about how you approach that and why it's important. Well, storytelling is important to me simply because it always has been. It's been a big part of my life. You know, I grew up in a house with a you know, college professor as a father and lots of community and lots of things around spoken word. I've spoken before about, you know, my sister putting records on while she was cleaning the living room and it would be, you know, T.S. Eliot reading his poetry and my father doing readings and Christmas of the child's Christmas in Wales, like hearing language spoken is different than reading it. And it has a real power. There's a real power to words and language that can move you in all sorts of different ways, good ways and bad ways. But I grew up around stories and books and language and obviously studied English and and went to grad school for journalism and really do love language. And in my career, the focus on storytelling has been so important because nonprofits rely on it every day. I mean, separate from a company telling its story, when you are a nonprofit and you are selling the vision of an investment in your organization, i.e. you're asking a donor for money, you're selling psychic benefit. You're not giving them a product. You're giving them a feeling and knowledge of what they can help be a part of. And so it's that is both data and you know, data is important. What's the investment going to lead to? What have you done in the past? So that you're not just giving to something that is very ephemeral. But the narrative is important too. And it's not just the words, it's the images, it's the, the visuals, the video, the, and sometimes actually being in the community and seeing what it's actually doing. So it's the marriage of both. And that's one huge thing I've seen in my career. And I also think storytelling is really important for people as people grow up and 
figure out who they are and how they're going to lead from where they stand. How do they tell their own story? How do they develop speaking as a leadership skill? People don't think they have stories inside of them. And I really love helping them figure out and find out that they do. And I do that because I think it's developing leaders who aren't necessarily in the past have been in the room. But it's also because hearing other people's stories and that difference just makes us better. So storytelling has been woven in and out of so many parts of my life. And I think it's just partially how I've evolved. Fantastic. We've covered some topics here we don't typically cover. I love this. Thank you so much for that. Oh, you're welcome. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to close with a closing question and that we're doing this podcast five years from now. What are we talking about five years from now? I hope we're talking about the next level of impact, not just did nonprofits do it, did companies do it, did funders or grant makers do it, but what have we figured out that people are actually embracing and doing? And it could be that it's something small that we figured out that has a big impact, but I think we're at a very important moment where there's a lot of strikes, there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of people being in certain camps. And we've got to figure out the few things that we as humans are all collectively interested in doing and we're going to do. And I would love in five years to look back and say, look, regardless of where we lived, what we believed, who we were, we all figured out that these things were important. Again, I might be a little too glasses half full, but I'm going to go for it. Yeah, so am I. Before we sign off, you want to talk about what you're going to do in your uh, next part of your journey? The next part of my journey is about impact. I am super proud of everything that I've done and built and the company that I worked for and the people I worked with. And I have incredible memories and great sense of pride, but I have something in me that wants to go build and do more. And that is around impact. And to me, it's about a good set of people with a, a good challenge. And so I'll leave you with that. And in five years, we can look back at, at what I've done too. I love that. Terrific. Rachel, thank you so much. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me too. Hey, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Sustainable Minds wherever you get your podcasts. And please do live a review if you like what we're doing. It helps others discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. If you want to find out more about how we can help you evolve your corporate brand, culture, and ESG, head to bakerbrand.com. See you on the next episode of Sustainable Minds, exploring the interplay of corporate brand, core beliefs, and ESG.